Well, we are halfway through our series, and I trust that God is beginning to revive you and renewing us corporately. And this morning, we focus on the topic of restore my joy. How many people want joy this morning? Okay, just a few. Good, good. No problem. More for me, less for you. I'm just kidding. That's not how God works. He wants to pour it out on all of you. So uh, whether you like it or not, by the end of this message, I hope you'd raise your hand and you'd say, I need some joy. And so I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Psalm 126, verses 1 to 6, together in one voice. And so this is a song of ascent. This is one of the Psalms that they would have read on route to Jerusalem on pilgrimage as a way to prepare their hearts and their spirits to worship the Lord. Let's read together in one voice. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has great, done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 126, and I pray, Lord, that as we ponder these things in our hearts, as we meditate on your word together as a church family, I pray that you would deposit your joy upon this congregation. Father, whether they realize it or not, we need joy. We need the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And Father, I pray that you would provide, Lord, your presence in this room, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would come upon us, Lord, and identify the, the things that we're feeling, Lord, the emotions that we're struggling with today, and that you'd replace them today with joy. Some of us came in heavy-hearted today, but I pray that as we leave, we will leave with joy in our hearts, God, that we would leave lighter than we came. And that's just not something nice to say or not something uh, beautiful to believe, but this is the truth of God's Word, that really we can receive this. It's available in plenty for us today. So, Father, I pray that you'd minister to your people. You know their lives. You know their circumstances. You know the challenges that they're facing. And I pray, God, that joy would be their portion, that joy would mark 2022 in their lives. And so we pray your blessing upon them and upon your preach word today. I need your help to preach, God. Would you empower me by your spirit? We ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You may be seated. Where has all the joy gone? Is it possible to live in a perpetual state of joy? For many, joy is a trait that is situational. It comes and it goes. It's fleeting. And if revival and renewal bring with it joy, how do we ensure its permanence in our lives? See, it is not uncommon to look backwards to the past in search for our joy. And if our memory serves us well, we will be able to identify a time and a place when and where we had experienced joy. Think about that for a moment. Maybe it was the day, if you're married, the day that you uh, married your spouse. If you're a parent, think about the day that you had your first child. 
we shouldn't say just first child, any of your children, right? The first isn't the most important one, of course. You know, if you're not married, think about the day of your graduation, the joy of just finishing that milestone of education. There have been moments in your life where you have felt joy as an emotion. But looking backward is not a negative act. It is a biblical act as long as we do not get stuck in the past, which many of us do. We like looking back to the past so we can dwell on the past and we miss out on the present of what God wants to do. And when we consider the structure of Psalm 126, in verses 1 to 3, the psalmist recollected what joy God had brought in the past. And then in verses 4 to 6, the psalmist anticipated what joy God could bring in the present and what, God jo- what, what joy God could bring into the future. See, joy is rooted in the theme of restoration, whereby something that was lost is recovered once again. From a New Testament perspective, you know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of God's internal work made visible spiritually and emotionally in the life of a believer. Every one of us, if we're believers in Christ, we should manifest the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruit is joy. One of the struggles I have seen among Christians is that they suddenly, they lose their joy. And then they struggle to recover that joy again. But I'm not naive. I'm not naive of the physical and the emotional and the mental and the spiritual disappointments that we face in life. But friends, I am here to tell you today, both in person and online, that we serve a God who brings us joy. He's here to deliver it to you today. This morning, I want us to examine Psalm 126 and also search the other Psalms for biblical wisdom on how we can recover our joy through personal revival and corporate renewal. First point this morning is salvation is joy. Salvation is joy. And we find this in verse 1 and in verse 4. Let's begin by looking at verse 1 for a moment. And the scripture says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. See, Zion was a reference to the city of Jerusalem, and the Israelites had been saved from their exile, and they were permitted to go and return home again. And what did they return to? They returned to rubble. They returned to a place that was in disarray, but God led them to repair it and rebuild the city once again. And as we ponder the meaning of this verse, our natural inclination is to focus on the place, to focus on Jerusalem as a place of home instead of the person that created such joy in their hearts, in the hearts of the Israelites. That is God. And if we're going to put our trust in events, in people, in places, and things to give us joy, my friends, get prepared to be disappointed because they will fail you. Verse 4 repeats the same idea in verse 1, but moves from the past and it moves now to the present, where the scripture says, Restore our fortunes, Lord. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Therefore, the feeling of joy, a lasting joy, can only be found in the Lord. Yet we constantly look for joy in all the wrong things and in all the wrong places. This may sound like elementary truth to you today, but it is actually profound truth in order to live it out. If it were simple, we all would be experiencing joy 24-7, and we wouldn't need the encouragement of this psalm today, Psalm 126. 
It is only an unchanging God who can give us constant joy. Now, this doesn't mean that we do not experience the wide range of other emotions. Emotions come from God. They are good. They help us process the things in this world. But it means that we are able to process whatever emotions we may feel, and we're able to return to the joy that only comes from God, that only comes from Him. It is not joy that is rooted in events and people and places and things, but it is a joy that overflows from our relationship with an unchanging person, an unchanging God. His joy is there yesterday. His joy is there today. His joy is there tomorrow. Furthermore, joy is contagious. Not contagious like COVID-19, Omicron variant. It's a different type of contagious. It's passed on from one person to another person. It belongs to God. It is His joy, and it is passed on to us so that it becomes our joy. His joy becomes our joy. And I think of Nehemiah who said to the Israelites who returned from exile to Jerusalem in Nehemiah 8.10, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, don't grieve today, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy becomes their joy. His joy generated their strength. Isn't that amazing? Joy turns into strength. As we draw from the Psalms, perhaps one of the most vulnerable prayers that we read and find is found in Psalm 51, specifically verse 12, where King David repented of his sin of adultery and murder. And this is where he said to the Lord, and he prayed these words, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, David lost something that needed to be restored. He lost, of course, his respect. He lost his, some degree of his relationship with God. But what did he really lose? He lost the joy of the Lord. He lost the joy of his salvation. See, joy is the direct result of the reception of the gospel, which is the day of our salvation. It's something that only God can do and which we cannot do for ourselves. You cannot conjure up joy. That will be a fleeting joy. But when God gives you his joy, it's a permanent joy. Did you notice that David does not say, my salvation? He says, but your salvation? The language is very clear here that apart from God, there can be no salvation. Apart from God, there can be no joy in our lives. Like David, many of us, we must admit that we have lost the joy of our salvation because of our sin that distances us from our God. And if you're missing that joy today, you need to reflect on the day of your salvation. You need to go through your memories. You need to go back to that day. Maybe some of you remember that day. Maybe some of you don't remember that day, but the day when you gave your heart to Jesus and the joy, the unspeakable joy that filled your soul that day. Do you remember that moment? Some of you do. Just think about that for a moment. That is where we need to go to to remind ourselves that is where the joy entered our lives. It is in our salvation found through Jesus Christ. It is the day you found him. It's the day that you received that unspeakable joy, the day of your salvation. Secondly, today, 
songs of joy. There are songs of joy. We find this in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 6. And the phrase songs of joy are mentioned three times in Psalm 126. And God's restoration of joy is expressed best in and through our praise and our worship. That's why when we worship this morning, there is a spirit of joy in the house. Because as we gather, as we sing to the Lord, He ministers to us His joy. Well, Psalm 126 highlights songs of joy. The psalmist in general, he places equal emphasis on shouts of joy. So there are songs of joy, but there are also shouts of joy. And this is a key characteristic of revival and renewal in the Bible and throughout church history. That there were times of new songs of joy. There were shouts of joy as victory was won. Let's begin by examining what the psalms have to say about songs of joy. Scripture says, sing for joy. When you study music theory, some of you are musicians uh, trained in music, you have to memorize a large list of Italian terminology. And one of the words for joyful is allegro. You might have heard that word before, allegro. And when you see this term at the beginning of a piece of music, you try to embody that term in the style of your singing, in the style of your playing. And this is exactly what the psalmist is asking us to do in Psalm 33, verses 1 to 2, is to do this with allegro. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. See, when we sing to the Lord, we sing in a manner that exudes joy. When we play to the Lord, if you're musical and you can play an instrument, we play in a manner that exudes joy. And guess what? This is not just for the worship team. This is for every believer. This is meant to be instructive. This is not meant to be manipulative. And those who have joy radiate it through their face and through their body language. I know some of you will say, but I'm an introvert, and I get it. Many people are introverted. Some people are extroverted. Those are personalities God has given you, and uh, we embrace that. That is how God has wired you. But when the joy of the Lord comes upon you, my friends, it, it's irrespective of introvert, extrovert. It comes through you. It's communicated on your face. It's communicated through your body language. It has to come through. Your disposition in worship says a lot about your joy. You know, some of us are more demonstrative. We raise our hands and we sing at the top of our lungs. And some of us others are so pensive. We just, you know, we might put our arms like this and think about the lyrics and, and the depth. And, but friends, if God's joy is alive and at work in your life, it's got to come out. It needs to express itself. God receives your joy. In Psalm 65, verse 8, we see that God's creation can sing songs of joy. The, earth, whole, the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. How is this even possible? The, the created order can't speak intelligible words like we can. But the reality is that everything that God created was made for His glory. And so it gives Him joy. In Psalm 96, verse 12, we see another example of creation singing. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. 
How? The leaves clap their hands. The seas roar. The trees of the fields sing. How is it possible? It is the wind of God that enables all of these things. Even a stone, a non-living object, can cry out in our place if we refuse to cry out with joy to the Lord. We see the combination of singing and shouting in Psalm 81 verse 1 where it says, Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Now, if you're observant, you might notice that these sing for joy and shout for joy verses have a trend of appearing on the ones, on the first verse of a psalm. And there is a reason for that because psalms often begin with a call to worship, with an invitation to participate. And to prove the point, we find another example in Psalm 95 verse 1. Come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Do you see the psalm? It starts with the word, come. Who's the psalmist speaking to? All of us. Let us, not let me. Let us sing. Let us shout. Come. You are not supposed to simply read this psalm. You're supposed to practically live out this psalm with other people. And that's why we do that on Sundays. Secondly, shout for joy. I could stop with the theme of sing for joy since it's mentioned in Psalm 126, but let's continue by examining what the Psalms have to say about shouts for joy, which is, explicit, which is not explicitly mentioned in Psalm 126, but is relevant in the Psalms. It's related to singing for joy. Now, shouting is often viewed as an inappropriate form of speech Unless it is an emergency, then it may be considered appropriate. But to shout can be interpreted as disrespectful to the people around you. But shouting for joy is a biblical expression that you and I need to practice in our lives. We need to shout for joy. The psalmist, woohoo, that's a good start. We're going to get louder. The psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 6 tells us that shouting for joy is the right response when we experience victory in our lives. When God does something for us, He gives us the victory over something, we shout with joy. All right. Then the scripture says, then, he, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Note that this shout of joy is really a sacrifice of praise. It costs you something. It really does. You know what a shout physically costs you something? It is a burst of your physical energy. You have to, you know, conjure up this strength and let it all out. That's what a shout of joy sounds like. It is also humbling because it requires you to not care about who's watching you. And isn't that the problem? So many times we're caring about who's watching us, and that's why we choose not to dis we disengage in worship and we spectate because we're afraid of what people think about how much we love our God who gives us great joy. In addition to the context of victory, there is a context of vindication 
when it is appropriate for a shout of joy. In Psalm 32, verse 27, the psalmist invites others to shout for joy on his own behalf. May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. In other words, this is a testimonial nature. There is a testimonial nature to the shout of joy. That God has done something for somebody. And he has brought his righteousness. And he has brought his justice. And he has rescued this person from trouble. In other words, something radical must happen in order to elicit a shout of joy. We see this in Psalm 71, 23. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. Dash, I whom you have delivered. God has to deliver in order for us to shout for joy. God has to rescue in order for us to shout for joy. And guess what? God does those things. But do we shout for joy? The deliverance is preceded, uh, pro preceded by a shout of joy. In Psalm 33, verse 3, we find the continuation of something we read earlier. Psalm 33, verse 1 to 2. And the scripture says, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. See, singing and playing and shouting are intricately linked together and in no way is this restricted to just God's people, but the invitation is extended to all people of all nations, every tongue, every, every language, every tribe, anybody who lives on the face of this earth. In Psalm 47, verse 1, we read, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Perhaps there are people on earth that don't constitute a nation, but they're just a people group. And even people groups, God is asking them to cry out with joy. And the psalmist, he factors all these things in when penning Psalm 66, verse 1 to 2, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Once again, you see, my friends, that many of these verses appear on the ones. The theme of shout for joy functions like sing for joy when it comes to creation singing and shouting. The longest mixed verse of singing and shouting appears for us in Psalm 98 verses 4 to 9. It's worth reading to you today. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the, psalm, the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. And now it changes. Here comes creation. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. We sing and we shout. And creation sings and creation shouts. To who? To God, who is the creator, who is the king, who is the judge. Psalm, and I conclude with Psalm 100, 1 to 2, which says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. 
I want to give you just for a moment an insider look as to what is unfolding behind the scenes at WPA. As the church leadership and I continually seek the Lord for direction, there have been three areas that we've identified which we need transformation. We need reformation. And the first reformation started when I became uh, the lead pastor of this church about five years ago. And it focused on God's word. We need to come back to the heart of God's word. We need to read God's word for ourselves. I had said at that time, there's a famine in the land, not of milk and honey, not of the things of this world, but of reading the word of God. There's a famine. Biblical literacy, all-time high. And so we started doing Bible engagement initiatives as ways to engage you. Uh, there's so much scripture that you'll hear in a service and in a sermon, and that's good. The second reformation started a few years ago, maybe three years ago, and it was focused on corporate prayer. On the first Saturday of every month, the elders and deacons get together to pray for an hour together. On the second Saturday, the intercessors gather together to pray for the church. On the third Saturday, the pastors gather to pray for the church. On the fourth Saturday, the, the, a group of ladies join together to pray for our church. And then there's the fifth Saturdays when they come. And that is a Saturday that is set apart for corporate prayer. How many people have attended corporate prayer before with me? Only a few hands. Here's the reality, friends. We need to pray together. If you want to see personal revival and corporate renewal, we need to pray. And at the end of this month, there's going to be a corporate prayer, and I want you to be there. It's online. I don't think we really have any excuse unless you don't have the Internet. So come. Can I just make that appeal to you, uh, pastor's heart to congregation heart? Can you please pray with me? Can you please pray as the body of Christ at WPA, you got to get this prayer thing into your heart. It's part of the DNA of this church. It's the DNA of a growing, healthy church. A church that prays together stays together. And thirdly, the third reformation, I believe God has just begun. And this is the focus on corporate worship. That what God wants to do on Sunday mornings when we gather together, he wants to pour out his spirit in a new way even as we sung today. So that we experience personal revival and we experience corporate renewal. There are many days, I've told you in the past, where God has done it before. I believe God can do it again. Do you believe that? So please don't come to church to spectate a performance this, what happens on the stage is not a performance. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we are not professionals. Don't come and watch this. You can watch something better on YouTube if you're looking for a performance. But if you're coming to praise and worship God, if you're coming to sing songs of joy and make shouts of joy, you've come to the right place. Come to church to participate. Come to church to engage. Please don't stay silent. Please don't cross your arms and disengage. Sing and shout for joy, for revival and renewal is coming. Amen? Amen. Third point this morning, sorrow into joy, verses 4 to 6. The purpose of joy is for the radical transformation of states, for us to go from one state of life to another state. The first example is found in verse 4, where the psalmist mentions the Negev, which is a desert region in Israel. And though a desert, it is not a total wasteland as we 
we might assume. It is only useful in the seasons where it rains. It is a place where the Bedouin shepherds would graze their flock and they'd roam from place to place until they found a patch of grass or a patch of land where they could graze their flocks. And covering half of Israel's land area, this desert, the psalmist's prayer was for the summer arid desert to be refreshed by the sudden life-giving streams like it was at other stages of the year. I believe that God wants to bring forth water in desert places. You might be desert dry today in your spiritual walk with God, but I believe God wants to pour out waters, living waters. He wants to pour out streams in your desert wasteland and revive you today. The second example is found in verses 5 and 6 where the psalmist spends most of that time. And the concept here is that of sowing seeds and reaping harvest. And sowing is associated grief because of the reality of food scarcity in the land. The uncertainty of what will be reaped and what weather conditions will come this year. And the farmer may also be grieving in reflection of last year's crop. That maybe it wasn't a good crop. Maybe it was a bad year. It will certainly take time for the seeds to germinate, to receive the water, to yield a produce. Nevertheless, those who sow in tears, the Bible says... Uh, those who sow will reap and return in joy. See, the re- reaping of a harvest is a symbol of revival and renewal. You know, when we think about those who come to know Christ, a great group of people, we call that the harvest. The harvest is ripe. We just need more laborers. Not only was it a physical revival and an emotional renewal, it was a spiritual experience. It was a celebration. It was an occasion for thanksgiving. The Festival of Weeks, which was the Harvest Festival, later became known to us as Pentecost. And the Festival of Weeks came 50 days after the first harvest, just as the day of Pentecost came 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And so there's this change. You can imagine, you remember when Jesus died, all the people were sad and sorrowful. His own disciples were feeling lost and destitute without Jesus being there. But 50 days later, Jesus poured out his spirit upon the 120 people in the upper room, and they were filled with joy. We need to move from the geographic and agricultural transformation to the physical and emotional transformation. The first thought, scripture, that came to my mind was the transformation that is described in Psalm 30, verse 11, where it says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. See, the wailing and the sackcloth are responses to death, but dancing and joy are responses to life. We are to put on this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we speak of the transformation of our emotions, we also need to consider the transformation of our mind. And the second verse that came to my mind was the transformation that is described in Psalm 94, verse 19, where it says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Anyone anxious today? I don't know. I'm a person who struggles with anxiety. It's not easy sometimes. 
But when anxiety is great within you, here is the consolation that God wants to bring to you. He wants to console you by bringing you joy. Isn't that good news? That's a meaningful verse for us today. We need to hold on to that one. Because this world is full of anxieties and tensions and stressors and depressors. But yet God wants to bring us joy in the midst of that. God goes beyond consoling us. He goes beyond our anxiety. He goes beyond our depression. He goes beyond everything else. And He delivers the joy that we so desperately need. And some of you have come to church this morning and you don't feel joy. You can't feel it. It's gone. You might be grieving. You might be anxious. You might be confused and depressed and stressed and all the other words you could put in there. And if you came to the service empty today and without joy, here is my prayer for you. My prayer is that you would leave this service today full. That you'd leave full of joy. Serve a God who radically transforms all of our emotions. I believe that today you could have brought your sickness in with you, but you can leave healed. You could have come in brokenhearted, but you can have a God who mends every piece of you. You can come into this house captive, but you can leave free today because we serve a God who brings joy. As David said in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Guess what? Here's the good news. Well, now it's 12.15, but here it was morning before. Morning has come. Morning has come. Your night is over. Morning has come. Joy comes in the morning. So you have to be ready to receive that joy. As I conclude today, as the worship team comes, I want to end by returning just to a few verses that we missed. Psalm 126, verse 2. The psalmist observed, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. See, friends, your joy is a witness to the world. You know, in this COVID-19 reality, what should the world be seeing from Christians? Is it an Instagram post or a Facebook post or a Twitter post? Is it arguments and debates as to what's right and wrong? What's, what's the best thing to do? What's the conspiracy behind things? No, it has nothing to do with any of those things. You know what the world is looking for? Joy. Do you have that joy? Amen. You need to be set apart to have that joy, to be a witness to the world that you are not like them, but you're different from them because of what Jesus has done for you. Those who are without joy, notice that there is something different about those who have joy. They must realize for themselves that joy cannot be achieved. Joy can only be received. And only a joyful God can enable or give us reason for His people to be joyful. So what are you exuding today? Does it draw attention to God, the very center of your joy? Then in verse 3, the psalmist confirms, the Lord has done great things for us. See, the nations of the world had made a very correct observation about the people of God, the Israelites. Yes, indeed, it was the Lord who had filled them with joy. So how can others experience what we have? We must sow the seeds of joy, and then we must reap the, jo the harvest, which is full of joy. 
We must confirm our joy to them by living in the joy of the Lord, by singing about the joy of the Lord, by testifying about the transformation of the joy of the Lord. I said to you earlier today that joy is contagious, and it really is. It's not contagious like COVID-19. It's contagious. It's God's joy. And the only way to transmit that joy is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, but you want this joy. Maybe you're online today. You want this joy. I'm here to tell you today that the joy has not run out. That our Lord has done great things not only for me or for you, but for all of us. And He is willing to fill you today with the very same joy that we share. Are you ready? Do you want the joy that brings revival and renewal, the joy of your salvation? Do you want that today? Because it alters your life forever. You will never be the same again. I want that joy. How many people now want joy? I want that joy. Let's pray.